Welcome to the Always Hope Podcast with my dad, Dr. Mario Sacasa. That's right. You're listening to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. And shout out to my nine-year-old son, Noah, who did an awesome job introing the show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. In today's show, we are going to be talking about masculinity. And we've had many conversations already about toxic masculinity and what's wrong with masculinity in our culture today. But today I want to flip the script and we're going to talk about what does healthy male psychology and spirituality look like. And so joining me on the show today is Dr. Anthony Isacco, Associate Professor of Psychology at Chatham University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to discuss the various elements of a healthy male psychology and spirituality. In today's show, we discuss the importance of men living generously, having kinship with other men, and the importance of humor and joking, and that kind of cutting up that men often do that kind of gets a bad rap, but sometimes actually is really important and healthy for a male psychology. In today's show, we also discuss what churches can do to better attract men to their congregation and parishes, because studies continue to show that male involvement in religion and in spirituality is not very good. And so we talk about the reasons for that, and again, what churches can do to increase male involvement in their respective parishes. After the show is done, please don't forget to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Every single one of those I read, I take to heart, and I pray with. And I appreciate so much because I know that it helps others be able to encounter this great message of what we are trying to accomplish here on the Always Hope podcast. So please leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts or hit me up on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Look forward to being able to dialogue with you on those various platforms. And so let's get into the show. Well, Dr. Anthony Isacco, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you coming on to the show and taking some time to talk about masculinity. So you just recently published a textbook, Religion, Spirituality, and Masculinity, New Insights for Counselors. First, congratulations. Is this your first textbook or your first big kind of writing assignment that, that you've gotten out there? Well, it, it is um, my second book in two years. Whoa, so, God bless you. Yeah. Um, Irish twins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, did, I didn't plan it that way, and I don't recommend writing two books in, in two years, um, but that's just the way things worked out with the two publishers I was working with. And so um, uh, the Religion, Spirituality, Masculinity book is um, really my first book written for a professional audience that mm combines um, all these areas of interest. Fantastic. So what drew you then to this being an area of interest? Why masculinity? Why the psychology of men? What about that is something that that drew you to it? Um, Well, I've been studying masculinity for um, over 10 years now. And um, the last few years, I started to work more closely with uh, religious men, more spiritually oriented men in my clinical work doing psychological assessments of uh, men who are applying to clergy roles in, in churches. And um, so whenever I was thinking about men in that regard, religion and spirituality kept coming up. And there wasn't a lot of guidance in the literature, the psychological literature, that um, combined those areas of religion, spirituality, and masculinity. So um, I decided that's that's write an integrative book 
that was really self-serving in a lot of ways because it helps me in my work. Uh, and I was just hoping that it would um, help other clinicians and researchers in this area as well. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So uh, as we kind of get into this, I mean, I know there's a lot of conversation about masculine roles, gender roles, um, men, female, toxic masculinity, all of it. We're going to get into a, a lot of uh, a lot of this in this conversation today. But it gets really just as I begin, I don't know, I always feel this caveat whenever I talk about men or women, just always say that whenever we dive into understanding of men or women, that to the listener, just recognize, I mean, these things are generalities. We're not trying to hold them to hard and fast stereotypes, but there is real research that uh, points in a certain direction. So um, before we even begin any of this, I mean, it, it, there's a distinction that I think you make a, um, in one of your presentations or in, maybe even in the book as well. Just how do, how do we define the difference between masculinity as a concept and then manhood as a concept? That's a good question. I mean, first to your first point, um, one of the things we talk about is, yeah, these there's theories, there's research that do point to commonalities and generalities. But certainly whenever you're meeting with an individual man, you want to keep that in mind, but also ask them how they define their own masculinity and manhood, um, because there's always individual and unique differences among men. Um, and so I, I totally agree with you on that caveat that you started with. Um, but masculinity is basically the expression of one's gender as a man. Um, and, you know, manhood is, um, I guess, one could see it more as a destination or a status. But um, for me, Manhood is um, always, always in process. It's very active. It's not a um, arrived upon destination. I think all men are in the constant pursuit of manhood. Mm. So masculinity then is, is informed by kind of our cultural uh, expression of one's manhood. But manhood is what kind of like the, the goal of what you're trying to get to, like trying to be whatever the ideal man looks like or. Uh, whatever that is, that there, there's like this goal that we're trying to achieve, which is being a, a man. Is that what you're saying? Or am I making that too? Making that am I get muddying the waters here right, right out of the gates of this interview? <laughs> right. No, no, it's great. It's a great question. Um, I think a lot of men want to be men, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but aren't sure and confused on what that looks like and what that means. And then they kind of um, cross-reference that goal with, well, um, how am I expressing myself as a man, which would be more the masculinity. And so sometimes there's kind of congruence between those two. And sometimes there's incongruence or confusion. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. All right. So good desires. I mean, we, we, we want to be a men. We want to know what that means. We want to be able to live that out, um, in, in a way that's healthy, that's expressive, that takes our psychology, our culture, all of that kind of into, in our spirituality, all of that into con consideration. So when you're looking at the, the, I guess the psycholo psychological research to, of, of a male, um, is there such a thing as a, as a healthy male psychology? Um, and what would that look like? Um, well, I'd say, you know, the area of research that I'm most familiar with is what's called the, the psychology of men and masculinity. And I think that research, although I like it a lot and, and it's very clinically applicable and it helps explain, I think one of the um, kind of deficits of that literature over the years has been 
um, that it's been it's been too much of a deficit model of manhood and masculinity. Um, and so what's they've been primarily asking the question, what's wrong with men? Mm. <laughs> How are certain expressions of masculinity correlated with negative health outcomes? Um, and so I think to its credit, I think the field is kind of self-correcting now and is trying to look at more positive, healthier models of masculinity because uh, we need that. We need a standard or a set of expectations for men to aspire to rather than just say, don't do this or don't do that. Yeah. Uh, well, it seems like the, the field as a whole is kind of moving, self-correcting. I mean, this is where the work of Martin Seligman and positive psychology plays in a big role as well in terms of saying, okay, what is, not just looking at uh, the deficits of our psychological makeup, uh, what do we do to get out of depression? What do we do to get out of anxiety? But what does it mean then to live a fulfilling life? And as I've encountered positive psychology in the last few years, um, it's been a real game changer for me in my own personal life and then even my clinical work as well to have kind of that future lens, that future oriented kind of perspective. Again, you need a balance of both. I get it. Um, but then what, so, so let's make that distinction particularly then when it comes to the male psychology, what does then an unhealthy, uh, theory of masculinity look like? And then what does a positive version of that look like? What, what is that manhood that we talked about earlier, that goal, what would be, a, a a, a way of, of kind of quantifying that from, from what you've read. Sure. Well, if you want to first took a look at like unhealthy masculinity, um, basically what the research is saying is that, um, there's some common masculinity norms or scripts out there, such as, um, men desire to be powerful, to exert dominance, to be stoic and self-reliant, to be independent, to be very career oriented. Now, if you hear some of those, your natural reaction might be, well, those don't all sound that bad. You know, that's be independent, that's be self-reliant. That sounds pretty good. That that's have a successful career. But the unhealthy masculinity research shows that it's it's not those norms or scripts in and of themselves, but it's a really an unhealthy or rigid, extreme adherence to those masculinity norms that are then correlated with the negative outcomes. So if being independent can be very functional and adaptive and healthy in some situations, but if you go to the too far extreme, um, then that's going to probably lead to some problems where you get yourself, uh, you know, in situations where you probably do need help and you do need to consult and you're not doing that because you're trying to live up to an unhealthy standard of masculinity. Okay. Well, I, I can speak to that. I mean, um, so right now, uh, I'm training for my first marathon and, uh, I'm pretty excited about it. So I ran cross country in high school long, have had this desire to run a marathon, but got married young, had kids young. And so now it's like, all right, I turned 40 next summer. We're getting this thing done before I turn 40. One of my, I don't know why, but that's a bucket list before I turn 40. I want to do it. So, so I'm training right now. And you know, the gift of YouTube is that you could do a lot of research on your own, you know? Right. And so I'm learning all the stretches, everything I need to do. But I hit a, I hit a, a point where I was having some real pain in my, in my feet and I tried the foam rolling, everything that YouTube was telling me. And, and at some point I had to accept that, like, I need help, you know, like I need to, yes. I need to go to a physical therapist. Um, I need to go meet with somebody who's actually a professional and knows what they're talking about that can help me to overcome whatever this foot pain is that I'm experiencing. But, uh, you know, in what you're saying with regards to independence, that there's a place of like a man that we're supposed to be, you know, you know, we don't ask for directions. 
some of these stereotypes, again, not, not to go back to it, but some of them, I guess what you're saying is that, that, that there's some validity to it. There is some, some uh, recognition that, that we can get ourselves in trouble um, when we don't properly know when it's time to ask for help. Is that, is that yeah. what's right? Correct. And I would say um, the kind of the watershed moment in psychology around this issue was a 2003-2004 publication in the American Psychologist, which is the flagship journal for the uh, for the American Psychological Association, which was men, masculinity, and help seeking. Uh, and so, help seeking is a central issue here for men, uh, where you know, to your point, uh, the stereotype pretty much holds true for help seek, mental health help seeking. Men try everything possible to handle their problems on their own first before seeking help from a mental health professional. Um, and, you know, that study came out in the early 2000s, and there's really been no research since then to suggest that we've made any improvements in that area for men. Um, they do experience a lot of barriers to seeking help, primarily because they don't think it's manly to seek help from a mental health professional. We could boil it down to that. Um, I did a study with fathers um, a few years ago um, using a, a national database of 3,000 fathers and something about maybe two to three percent of that population had sought help in the past year from a mental health professional. Mm. Now you would think that by accident, two or three percent would stumble into a mental health professional's office, um, but uh, yeah, that for their was kids or their wives, or you know, for somebody yeah. else, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that is, you know, that independence, that self-reliance, the emotional stoicism are three of the more common kind of culprits when it comes to unhealthy masculinity in terms of being correlated with some unhealthy outcomes such as help seeking. Okay. All right. So what else then? You said uh, aggression or some other things. I'm, I'm, my apologies, I didn't write it down, but there are four things you kind of spoke about. Yeah, there's, um, I don't know the whole comprehensive list off the top of my head, but there's about 11 or 12 masculinity norms, you know, uh, aggression, dominance, uh, wanting power over people, authority, uh, career orientedness. You know, that's a big one where being a breadwinner is a very important um, role for men to want to assume. And of course, there's um, a lot of um, uh, adaptability and functionality to being a breadwinner. Um, and we don't want to minimize that role. But if you go to the extreme again, it's always to the extreme where you become a workaholic or you're not spending time with your family. Again, that's whatever men and families typically get into trouble. So it seems that then, right, the, the unhealthy dimension of all this is that it's when it goes to any of these, when they go to the extremes. I mean, like drivenness in of itself isn't a bad character trait or, uh, you know, a desire to want to be the breadwinner in and of itself isn't, a, isn't, is, is, is good. It can be noble. But whenever you fall into an extreme, um, that's when it becomes problematic. When you think that you have to have all the answers, the solutions to all the problems, uh, when you're reluctant to to seek help, um, all, all of those things that that's when masculinity turns in on itself. Is that, that a way of thinking about it? I think that's a good way to put it. And I think what has happened, unfortunately, over the years is that people have kind of taken that message and have generalized it to just masculinity uh, in general. You know, so it's well, mass. You know, if 
rigid adherence to traditional masculinity is associated with all these positive or negative outcomes, then um, there's something wrong with masculinity. Um, and so that's what people typically refer to whenever they say toxic masculinity or masculinity needs to be changed. They're not getting the nuance in the research. Yeah. So then what would be the response to that then? Well, my response has always been, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with, you know, traditional masculinity or some of these traditional roles and norms, you know, and, and trying to honor the positive and strengths of some of those roles and norms. Um, and, uh, then of course talk about, it's really the, the rigid adherence to more of the extreme versions. That's, that's most problematic. Okay. And so it's about education and, um, provide, providing a different point of view. So, so nail this down for me then. If we're talking about the unhealthy aspect of it is, is the extreme that could lead towards a toxic uh, expression of one's masculinity, what then does the ideal man look like based on what you've read, psychologically and emotionally speaking? Well, that's a good question. And I, I would like to circle back to, you know, you mentioned Martin Seligman and positive psychology. Um, and, you know, one of the self-corrective mechanisms right now in the literature is what's called the positive masculinity, positive psychology paradigm, um, where it is integrating positive psychology with the masculinity literature to come up with more healthy standards of masculinity for study, reflection, and integration in clinical practice. And so uh, the two researchers who are at the forefront of that are Mark Kaselica and Matt Eglar Carlson. And um, they have come up with a set of positive, healthy masculinity norms that we can start studying and um, using with our male clients and with men in general on, you know, here's some ways that we can be healthy. So, for example, things like um, being a good father, um, you know, once you become a father, being a good father and having a generativity piece to your identity and wanting to give back to other generations. Um, being part of a fraternal organization. So there's a pro-social component to it uh, and, and being part of an organization that does good with other men. Um, so, you know, things like the Knights of Columbus, for example, would be a great example of a, of a healthy expression of masculinity where you're doing service in the community towards a common good. Um, having appreciating the male sense of humor. So a lot of times men joke with each other and that can be negatively stereotyped as, you know, an avoidance of intimacy, but really men can develop intimacy with each other through appropriate um, sense of humor and laughing and wanting to have a good time. So those are some of the um, uh, more positive aspects of masculinity that are being studied. And I would just add to it that it's really a lot about a self-reflection and self-awareness. You know, men need to be able to really think of themselves and that's really healthy and then start making some conscious choices on the type of man, man that they want to be rather than just kind of going through life, uh, reacting to societal messages, they're now being proactive about who they want to be. That's awesome, man. Well said, well said. So, uh, generativity, embracing the, the, the call to fatherhood and giving of yourself in a way that is, that is larger than yourself, a sense of kinship with other men, community, brotherhood, 
uh, whether that comes from work or from uh, a Knights of Columbus organization, team sports, um, e- even I think are, are, are important in that as well. And then, uh, the, you know, the, the kind of jovial joking, like he's talked about, the, the humor, the recognition that, that men kind of do that. Um, you know, that, that's, you know, I, I mess, I, I like to joke and, uh, and, uh, my boys kind of get that and they've picked it up. And so we, 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 we give it to each other a little bit. Um, and it, it's a point where, you know, it doesn't, I know that there's a bad stereotype with that as well, that it can be kind of cutting and, and digging. Um, but, but there's a place of it that isn't, it's just really just good nature fun. So those three things in a nutshell, I mean, again, we're not trying to be overly reductionistic about this, but if we aspire to having a healthy balance uh, with with some of these things. Th- th- this is kind of what we look at. And again, this is broad brushstrokes. What that means for the individual to uh, decide, as you said, the type of man that he wants to be is really within himself and, and being able to embrace and say, okay, well, h- how how is God calling me to express my masculinity in the particular context of my life? Um, you can apply these different themes or these uh, different ideas but at the end of the day, uh, the individual has to take responsibility for the direction and decision that they want to make. Yeah, I, I think there's something in, inherent about men that, that they do want to do good. Um, that doesn't minimize their mistakes that they've made or the challenges that they face. Um, but I'll give you a quick example of this. Um, whenever I was a clinical intern at the University of Oregon, I was tasked with running a group for men who got in trouble with the conduct office on campus. So they either got in physical fights, they um, had problems with drinking. But, you know, one of their options was, you know, to pay a fine, to take a suspension or join my group. (laughs) Um, And so I had a group of angry young men. And it was difficult to kind of connect with them. And of course, um, you know, they were being punished in a certain way. And a lot of people would look at their behavior objectively and say, yeah, that was unacceptable behavior. Um, But when I asked them to a man, what kind of man that they wanted to be, who they aspired to be um, individually without being prompted in any direction, they started to talk about how they wanted to give back to their community to straighten up, to be a good husband and father one day, to pass on valuable uh, lessons that they've learned from their fathers to their children. And it completely changed the whole tone of the group to the point where you saw the goodness that they were trying to strive to, and they just needed some help to get there. And they could see how their behaviors that got them into your group were uh, not congruent with those life goals. Exactly. And up until that point, they blamed everybody else for their the, the mistakes that they made. And after we started to talk about what kind of man that they wanted to be and who they aspired to be, I asked them, well, what's getting in the way? What's the barrier? And again, each one of them separately came up with the same answer themselves. Yeah. And that's whenever they took responsibility. And that is a key developmental milestone in terms of developing healthy masculinity is that maturation to take responsibility for one's actions and then enact the change that's needed to be better. Amen. Yeah. Have you followed any of this Jordan Peterson phenomenon over the last couple of years? Uh, of course, you know, um, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a fan of Jordan Peterson, but, um, I've, 
been curious about his work and of all my friends who know that I'm a psychologist <laughs> always forward me video clips and writings of him. So I'm kind of forced to, to nothing against him personally. I just, um, it hasn't been something I've been, I've consciously kept up on, but again, people kind of forward me stuff and, and show me stuff that he's read or, uh, or said and want to get my take on it. So yeah, I am familiar with, with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Great. The, the reason I bring up in the context of our conversation is because, uh, he, his following has been largely male. Um, mm -hmm. and certainly there've been women who've, who've listened to him as well, but this young male audience, um, has really resonated deeply with his message. And I think it's to your point, it's, it's a recognition that, um, some it, to challenge somebody sometimes is the compassionate thing to do. Right. When, when we encourage somebody to an ideal uh, or to a standard, you talked about manhood being this, this thing that we all kind of aspire to, this thing that we want to get to. But that isn't something that just kind of happens. Like we have to, we have to make changes and orient our lives to seek that ideal out. And I think that's been the main crux of Peterson's message um, has been that, you know, stand up straight, put your shoulders up, you know, like what's, what is it you want to accomplish in life? How do you go really uh, learn and achieve the competencies that you need? And that type of message has resonated deeply with, with a lot of young men. And, um, and I think it's, it, again, it's, it's similar to what you're kind of proposing right now with the guys that you had in your group. Yeah, I think one of the things that has been lost over the years is kind of a rite of passage, formal rite of passages for men. And he, Jordan Peterson has certainly talked about this and um, other researchers in the psychology and men and masculinity as well, where um, in order to get to points of manhood um, along that journey, you need challenges. Uh, you need to be able to have some gut check moments that say, you know, who am I all about? Am I able to kind of rise to meet this challenge? Um in one of my books, I talk about one of the classic examples of, you know, from Lord of the Rings, uh, where Frodo and Sam go on their journey, you know, uh, to get rid of the ring. Well, that's men need more of those kinds of experiences to kind of um, uh, to in their development towards manhood, of course. Um, otherwise, it's what what gives you meaning? What gives you motivation? What what pushes you to do better in your life? Well, we, we still do it, but I think sometimes we do it in a fallen way. So it's like, all right, so we'll define a masculinity by, you know, when I go hook up with that girl, you know, and again, you can see kind of the, the misconstruing of that. There's an element of like going and talking to a girl requires an act of courage, you know, but you're, you, but in the end, it's not virtuous. In the end, you're doing these things just for your own kind of gain. And, um, but, but we have lost that sense of initiation in rising to the challenge. How do we reclaim that in, in our modern culture? What, what are ways that we can do that to encourage, like if a dads are listening to this who have sons, what are ways that we can encourage our sons to, to rise to the challenge with certain challenges in life? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. Yeah, and I've certainly seen what you are talking about in terms of men trying to achieve manhood in unhealthy ways uh, through um, uh, sexual conquests, unhealthy drinking, drug use, things of that nature. And so to kind of flip the script takes a lot of work, um, but can be done, you know, where you are now promoting the idea of uh, a different 
a, a reclaiming of the manhood through these other positive ways, you know, and that takes role models such as good fathers taking that message down to their sons. It takes, um, you know, other role models in society um, as well, sports figures um, to kind of get that message out. One of the things I've been pleased about over the last couple of years is more um, uh, male athletic figures talking about mental health and mm-hmm. talking about going to, to see counseling mm-hmm. themselves for various struggles. Um, Kevin Love, who's a forward for the Cleveland Cavaliers, has talked very openly about his anxiety uh, and, and how he's gone to seek help for that. So there's multiple ways, but I think it, a lot of it comes down to role models, being good role models, um, and teaching younger generations about how to be uh, a, a more positive, different kind of man than what other men might default into and that we hear so much about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on the, the sports figures. I'm, I'm a huge NBA fan. And so I've, I've, I followed this. Uh, DeMar DeRozan also, who plays with the San Antonio Spurs now, has also been very open about it. And even just watching the draft this past year, I don't know if you watched it at all, but like a number of the young men, you saw that they were much more emotional. Uh, in in being drafted, crying, gratitude—I mean, all these things are, I think, are are great. The, the problem is that we've just always associated these these kind of um, emotional expressions as as being weakness, um, and and even more bluntly that they're they're girly or they're they're feminine or whatever negative kind of trope we want to throw into that, um, and that you have to have the stiff upper lip to be, to be a man, and. And again, what we've been talking about the whole time is recognizing that that extreme is what's the problem. The, the desire to, to be a professional athlete, the desire to be successful, the desire to to want to achieve great things in life is nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and for a man, we really do need that. Um, but it's the manner in which you go do those things. Um, and it's the, the manner in which you're open to then getting the support that can help you get to that point. Um, and again, just by my own experience, like the guys that I'm seeing for physical therapy have been really awesome to me. And, and from the get go, they've been like, listen, you know, we're part of your team. We want to help you. We want to, you know, we we're, we're in your corner. We want you to achieve this goal of running this race, you know, and they've been very encouraging and supportive, um, which has been been awesome for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, I think a lot of men, they hear the word emotion and they're like, well, I can be angry. <laughs> you know, that's that's a good emotion that I can express. Sure. But there's such a wonderful range of emotions out there that make us human. And to kind of get men comfortable with that range is both challenging, but certainly worthwhile. Um, and it takes good role models uh, for that uh, and good messaging, you know, around things like real men cry, you know, uh, real men can be empathetic. Um, and at the same time, you know, something that Mark Caselica talks about in terms of his positive masculinity model is that um, a good way to be a man is through what he calls action empathy, mm. you know, where men empathize with other people through action. And, and that's not pathologize that, you know, but we can also um, add, add to someone's um, you know, kind of uh, support system by doing things, being problem solvers. Um, and there's some negative stereotypes around that, but that can be really helpful, you know, taking action when needed and providing that kind of tangible uh, material support as well. Uh, so I want to honor that part of masculinity too. Yeah. The, the example that comes to my mind is uh, Michael Gurian, who the example he uses in his book is looking at co-ed soccer teams. And he says, 
that if like a boy gets knocked down, you know, because the ball hits him or something, his legs hurting. The girls typically will walk over and do a nurturing empathy, which is, hey, you know, it's all right. Um, you just kind of sit there. It's and that's a compassion. It's an acknowledgement that you're hurt. It's all right. You know, take your time. Take your time. Um, but then the boys, and the term he uses is aggressive empathy, not not action. He say guys will come over and be like, listen, man, you know, we need you. We need you to to get up and kind of walk it off. And it's and it's a it's it's not a dismissiveness of the pain. But rather, it's a call to that that sense of virtue and recognizing that, like, we want you to be part of this team. We need you to be part of this team, and so we need you to 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 work through this quickly so that you can, um, you know, get back and, and help the team as 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 uh, as stated. So I, when mm-hmm. I read that for the first time, I thought that was a fascinating way of kind of looking at empathy, both from the nurturing and the action or or kind of aggressive stance that it can take both of these kind of mod mo, um, modes and it'll still be all right. Yeah, that's a great example. And, and I would totally agree that there's there's multiple components to empathy and you might value or think of uh, emotional empathy first. But for a lot of men, it's action empathy that can be really helpful and more of a strength. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Anthony Izako to give a little plug for the very first Archdiocese of New Orleans Men's Conference. That's happening on March 7th, 2020. The conference is going to be an amazing experience that we're going to pull hundreds and hopefully a couple thousand men together to be able to worship and to praise God. The theme of this year's conference is Mission Possible. The challenge that's set before all of us is what does it mean to be a saint today and is that possible? And we want encouragement to be able to say yes. And so many of the things that we've been discussing in today's show, the theme of the conference is going to hit on a whole nother level. And so the speakers for this year's event is going to be Jack Del Rio, former NFL coach and legend, Curtis Martin, Focus CEO, and Peter Herbeck, a media evangelist. We want to encourage all men in the surrounding area, if you're listening to the show somewhere else, I'm sorry, but if you're in New Orleans or in Baton Rouge or somewhere in Louisiana or somewhere within a, a drive, we would love for you to be able to come down and to join us on March 7th for this amazing opportunity. It's the very first time that the Archdiocese of New Orleans has done a large-scale men's conference, so we really hope that we can get an amazing response because we know the power of men coming together in prayer. We know the power of men coming together in, in fellowship and in worship, and we want this day to be not Nothing but an encouragement to men to live their lives and to pursue that call to holiness. And so again, the Archdiocese of New Orleans Men's Conference, Mission Possible, is happening on March 7th, 2020 at St. Catherine of Siena in Metairie. If you have any more questions about it or if you want to look to register, go on the website nolacatholicmen.com. That's nolacatholicmen.com, and I will have a link to that on the show notes. So we've been talking a lot about masculinity and kind of the emotional expression that's there. Are, are there distinctions between men and women at a psychological level? I mean, is there, is there, again, broadly, maybe it's too big of a question, but what, what, what do we see? Because uh, being differences between men and women. 
Well, um, there are differences between men and women. I think we can start there. And uh, of course, there's there's similarities as well between men and women. So a lot of these things that we've been talking about, you can certainly see in in women. women right? um, you know, I know a lot of very independent women. I know very a lot of uh, stoic um, women as well. So um, by and large, there's kind of like two messages that I read a lot in research. Number one, um, there are statistical differences between men and women along some of these norms and expressions of gender. Um, uh, but for the most part, the statistical differences are, are small. Okay. So in other words, um, you're not going to fuck because of the similarities, basically, um, again, they, these aren't mutually exclusive um, gender norms that are out there. Right. But you see them more in men than in women. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Tease that out some more. Well, um, I, I think it goes back to um, you, kind of the caveat that you provide at the beginning of the show and mm -hmm. that these are generalities and there's going to be individual differences um, with, within male groups. Um, and there's going to be differences, of course, with women, but there's going to be similarities too. So these these norms, um, these standards of masculinity are not just exclusive to men. They can cut across, you know, all people. Right. Um, but we do find that um, there's more pressure on men to, to adhere to these norms. Um, there's more of an expectation on men to adhere to these gender norms. Um, and that's part of the cycle that men get themselves in more so than women. Um, that would be, uh, also, uh, a unique element to gender roles whenever it comes to, uh, men. All right. So we've been talking a lot about just with regards to the psychological makeup and emotional makeup of men and what healthy masculinity looks like. Um, if we transition then to like a spiritual level, recognizing that this is um, uh, kind of the makeup of who we are and what we aspire to, how then should we evangelize men or kind of in the same vein, what, what, what is a healthy expression of one's faith look like for a man? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a big piece of what I integrated into my new book, um, because if you look at some of the demographic data out there from like the Pew Research Center, for example, um, it's not doesn't look promising for men whenever it comes to practicing their faith, um, being spiritual um, and, uh, you know, feeling that it's even important in their life. You know, most research, particularly in Christian populations and Western populations, men are really lagging behind women whenever it comes to um, indices of religion and spirituality. But I would argue, and what I do argue in the book, is that men can reconnect to their religious roots and their sense of spirituality in very healthy, positive ways that's going to help them, um, you know, developmentally and their mental health, psychologically and their relationships. Um, and so that is an important pathway that can be often ignored, but needs to be recaptured. Is there a sense of why that men don't express their faith as much as, as women do? Is there an, an understanding to that? Well, there's lots of different theories out there. I'll give you a couple. Um, you know, one of the, the layman theories is um, Sunday is for football now. Uh, it's not for mass, you know. So you have a lot of men who... Um, 
just they they wake up in the morning, make their cup of coffee, and uh, they sit in front of the TV and watch football all day. Um, and that's 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 actually one legitimate theory out there. Another one is that. Um, some of the Christian religions, um, have become too feminized. Uh, and so then men will either consciously or unconsciously react negatively to that feminization and then avoid those activities that they think are too feminine. So, um, you see this in, uh, the Catholic church with altar servers, whenever a parish will introduce female altar servers, you'll see a drop off in male altar servers mm. um, and nothing against female altar servers, but that just seems to be the dynamic. And so um, when it comes to things like prayer, church attendance, reading the Bible, um, if men perceive that as a female activity, um, they will want to avoid it in order to preserve their sense of manhood. I mean, the way you're making it sound is, is that like a subtle misogynism or, or do we just have this continued bias against kind of feminine va- virtues or values? I think it'd be both. Yeah. Um, and it's just really misguided in a lot of ways. Yeah, of course. Right. Now starting to avoid um, and take yourself out of a lot of um, activities that provide meaning, that provide support, provide a sense of community and belonging, not to mention the spiritual value of being connected to your faith and to your God. Well, I mean, we've, we were joking earlier about help seeking and men struggling with that. Is that connected to this conversation with regards to turning to God or turning to faith or turning to religion as uh, another form of help seeking that's just difficult for men to do? Absolutely, it's connected. Um, where, you know, men, a, a big part of religion is being able to turn to God for help, mm-hmm. to be dependent on a sacred figure, um, and to use your faith community for support as well. So again, if you are adhering to that independence, that stoicism, that I'm going to do this my way and I'm going to do it on my own, that's naturally going to take you away from, um, all the benefits of one's religion, uh, and one's relationship with God. Um, men are also found to view God in more negative terms as someone who's controlling, punishing, um, more meddlesome, someone who's going to um, be more of a, a negative influence in their life compared to women. And so if you view God in that light, you're also going to avoid being in a, in a relationship with God or praying to God because that's, uh, that's negative. It seems that, you know, with what you're talking about with regards to what healthy standards are for masculinity, then if, if we have been focused so much on um, the, the need for God from a place of poverty, which is all true, we need to be, acknowledge that uh, we are beggars before the Lord, I think, as uh, Pope Benedict would say. Um, but, but it seems then, if we could use the, the, the research here appropriately, that what is lacking or what could re-energize our men in our faith is, is a sense of mission, is a sense of uh, goal-oriented. How, and not, not to reduce the faith to just certain tasks, but how, do, how can we reinvigorate a sense of purpose um, that faith gives and, see, and help men to see that as a net positive within their own life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that can really tie into, you know, some of those new standards of positive masculinity that are being um, 
you know, promoted out there in terms of a, a natural starting point for men might not be sitting quietly in a room like a monk asking God for help. Um, it might be first, well, what can you do to help someone else? Um, what, what kind of support can you provide other people? You know, what kind of service can you engage in that, um, will be of good to someone else? Then you're tapping into that action empathy, that sense of service, more the fraternal organization and brotherhood. Um, and that can be a more of a natural starting point to get men back connected to their faith and feeling a sense of belonging within their religion. And then silent contemplative, contemplative, you know, prayer with God can follow from that, you know, once you've built momentum. Yeah. The, the knock sometimes with the men's groups though, or the dad's clubs is that they do all of that. They do the fish fry. They, they, they'll, you know, pitch the tent for the parish fair. They'll do all of those things, but then they don't, necessarily take it a step further to involve the spiritual element as well, where, yeah, you're doing all the action-oriented stuff, but then you end the evening by just drinking beers and hanging out, which again, in and of itself isn't, isn't problematic, but maybe at some point we don't, we don't then take that, that other step to encourage um, seeing how this service actually ties back to, to their faith. Yeah. Yeah. And you can add in that spiritual component to uh, works of mercy or service kind of work too, where, you know, you make that a prayer um, in and of itself. And at the same time, I think there's also been some new um, men's ministries um, in Catholic churches, Christian churches that are trying to do just what you're talking about, that are adding in a Bible study, a spiritual component, a, um, a, uh, a prayer component and then a service component as well to kind of add in a more holistic understanding of spirituality for men. There's a priest in um, Martinville, Louisiana, which is just south of Lafayette, who I absolutely love. Uh, Father Michael Champagne is a religious priest, the community of Jesus crucified. One of my just favorite, favorite priests here in, 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 in the state of Louisiana. But what he would do, what he does for his men's ministry is that there where the community lives, they always have projects. I mean, they, since they live in a vow of poverty, I mean, the, the house, the property that they're on is always under renovation. They're always thinking of new ways to do things to do. So what he does is he just invites the men of the parish to come. And if they have to put a new gutter system on the building, you know, they'll do that. If they have to dig a trench to get a new drainage to kind of get the water out because there's flooding in the backyard or something, he gets the men, they work for about three hours, that's what they do. They accomplish the task and then they go to mass and then they have lunch and then the, the day's over. Um, but then at mass is when he has an opportunity to, to, to preach to them, to talk to them, to encourage them about their faith and to give guys an opportunity to, uh, to connect. But really the cell is, we need your help. We want you to come, you know, dig this trench, work on this building, put some sheet, sheet rock up, whatever it is. And then from that flow into a conversation of, um, what does it mean then to grow in your faith and, and ask some of the bigger questions? But I just always loved that model. I thought it was it was really, really right on. That's a great model. And um, one of the reasons why I like it is kind of the reverse psychology of it. You know, mm -hmm. um, you you come and help me, which a lot of men <laughs> respond to. Absolutely. Um, and. And then once you got your captive audience, then you can give um, some nurturance and some help to, to the men once they're there. 
Now, in preparation for our interview today, I was reviewing slides that you put together for a presentation, a webinar that you did for the Catholic Psychotherapy Association, which unfortunately I wasn't able to attend. I think had some other things going on. But uh, looking at the slides, when we're some of the things, if I'm reading this correctly, that you spoke about with men and their approach to faith, that there are really kind of two things that you highlighted, at least in the slides, and I want you to maybe speak a little bit more about this. One, the relationship with God, which I think we've been talking about to some degree in terms of what does it really mean to be in relationship with him. But if there's more you want to say about that, it'd be great. But the second piece um, was about forgiveness. And, and why then is forgiveness important for um, a healthy male spirituality? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, I'll, I'll touch upon the forgiveness piece um, because we've been, we have been talking about relationship with God for a little bit already. But so it's very normal in people's lives, all people's lives to feel wronged. And, um, then there is a need for forgiveness and the forgiveness literature is so rich and robust. Um, and it talks about these different types of forgiveness. There's interpersonal forgiveness where you're trying to forgive other people, there's self forgiveness, and then there's divine forgiveness too, you know, for forgiveness from God or to God. Um, and men are terrible at all of those, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. Um, men hold grudges. There's a male archetype in cinema and media uh, that uh, fits with what the research says in terms of when there's a wrong, men seek revenge. You know, so think of Braveheart, The Punisher, um, Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump. You know, you, you lash out at God. You want revenge. Um, and so teaching men that it's so important and healthy to forgive, to let go. Um, is a monumental task uh, and so important and so worthwhile um, because you, it, it has a twofold benefit. Number one, you can let go of all the negative emotions that are attached with not forgiving, and then you can then gain all the positive benefits from forgiveness. It seems so that like, this is again, where kind of our psychological makeup works against us, that we are by nature problem solvers. Um, that's something I've read. Have you are familiar with Luanne Brizendine's work, The Male Brain, The Female Brain? Have you read her books? I've not read that book, no. Yeah, it's good. She she gets into kind of the, the neurological kind of differences. And so one, the female brain she wrote first, and then she wrote The Male Brain. Um, and, and, you know, she says by men by nature, we're, we're, we're just we're really good problem solvers um, and our makeup kind of points to that. So this is me kind of bringing all this together, which is to say that um, when, when we experience an injustice, so thinking about Braveheart, uh, when, this, when they betray him, when the nobles betray him, that's it, you know, profound injustice. His, his reaction is, of course, to, to be angry and to be the, the, the vindicator, you know, vengeance. Is, and, and so he goes and kills them all, which obviously is not, it's not the gospel, right? That's not the gospel message. Right. Um, so with pardon to, you know, disagreement to John Eldridge, you know, I love his work wild at heart, but you know, Braveheart isn't Jesus. Like it's, it's not, Jesus didn't go kill everybody after, you know, they wronged him, but, right. but there's a place inside of us that, that when we feel wronged, when we feel hurt, anger emerges out of that place of injustice. That's why we experience anger. And there's a healthy place where anger is, is right, that we should right wrongs and seek justice in the world and anger can motivate us. Um, but again, when, when it becomes more about vindication in, in getting somebody back 
for the wrong that has been committed to me, that's when we use the anger and the aggressiveness in a way that becomes unhealthy. But if it can be channeled into a way that um, we can work towards forgiveness, but then even work towards um, making whatever system or structure better, um, that could be a healthy outlet of that. Now, again, even that last piece requires some degree of discernment, some degree of, of prayer in terms of what God is asking you to do in the midst of the pain that you've experienced. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm, I, I see that I'm trying to give pardon here, a recognition why, why we can be angry because we want to solve the problem. We want to fix it. But, the, but, but that, again, as we've been talking the whole time, that, that sort of myopic um, approach to, to every wrong, every problem in our life uh, will ultimately get us in trouble and, and lead us away from our great, our ultimate good. And so forgiveness has to be incorporated in all this. I think guys struggle with forgiveness precisely because of everything we've been talking about. It, it's it, it's yeah. weak. It's, it's uh, if I forgive this person, am I giving them a pass? Am I letting them off the hook uh, because of what they've done to me? Um, they don't deserve my forgiveness. I mean, any one of those narratives are the things that we, that we throw out there. Um, so. Absolutely. And um, it's not natural to forgive. That's why it is a, a learned kind of skill and men in particular do need to learn it. And in the book, I, I point to one of my favorite models of forgiveness, which is uh, Pope John Paul II. Uh, in early 1980, 81, of course, he survived an assassination attempt. And who was more kind of um, warranted to be upset and angry and what and, and want vengeance than Pope John Paul II at the time. And there's this great, great quote that, um, that I've been, uh, you know, kind of putting out there as, as really kind of summing this up really well from him, where he says, uh, forgiveness is above all a personal choice, a decision of the heart to go against that natural instinct to pay back evil with evil. The measure of such a decision is the love of God who draws us to himself himself in spite of our sin. It has its perfect example in the forgiveness of Christ who on the cross prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So why is forgiveness? I can't say yeah. Why is forgiveness masculine then? How can we look at this as a, as a, as a, as a masculine thing to do? Well, part of um, our kind of discussion here around making uh, looking at healthy masculinity is going against that rigid adherence that it, that we get pulled into, and in some ways act opposite of what maybe society tells us to or society expects us to. Um, you know, and religious values and biblical messages and Jesus is countercultural, and I love Always. that um, because. And in that same way, we have models of manhood and masculinity that are quite different from what society expects from men. Um, and so really tapping into what's healthy masculinity can be in a lot of ways going against what our society tells us manhood is. Yeah. It, I, somebody said this to me years ago, and I've always been struck by it. it was a men's group that I was part of in Tallahassee. And he said, this guy in the group, he said, if, if, if Jesus would have came as a woman, that wouldn't have been revolutionary. It's the fact that he came as a man and preached many of these values that we tended to associate with just femininity, that living as an integrated individual is really where the revolution came. That he didn't, again, he didn't 
kill uh, his persecutors. Uh, he didn't respond in, in vengeance against any of them, but, but in his own way uh, was incredibly masculine and courageous in the ways that he went about his affairs. Very diligent, very purposeful, very driven, um, but very loving, very intentional. And so it, it, that countercultural message um, still is countercultural message. I mean, it still is something that works against the grain of what we expect a man to be. And, and I guess trying to really encourage guys who are listening to this is to recognize that like, if Jesus was the man, the perfect man, talking about a mission, well, then that's the mission that we have to kind of ascribe to is to say, mm-hmm. well, what does it then mean to really live like he lives in, in everything that that's involved in that? It's not, it's not being passive. It's not being uh, willy nilly or any of those things. It's, 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 there is an incredible strength that Jesus offers, um, but he does it in a way that is virtuous and loving. Um, and I think that aspect of the gospel narrative is something that we've lost because I do think sometimes we talk about the faith in a way that is um, uh, weak. I hate to say it that way. That isn't challenging. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't that doesn't have a, a, a call to arms, a call to action connected to it. And I just I think guys just check out with all of that. Um, that doesn't that doesn't draw somebody out of themselves to be the better version of themselves. Um, and I think we've lost that. You know in I don't know. I don't mean to be too critical, but I, I think we've lost that in many circles. Yeah. I should say. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan <laughs> living here in Pittsburgh, but mm-hmm. um, I think the Oakland Raiders or the LA Raiders at one point had a slogan like "Real men wear black" or something like that. Um, don't quote me on that, but you know, taking that slogan and tailoring it to what we we're talking about here, you know, real men forgive, um, and uh, that gets to. Um, the heart of who we are, um, even, and it takes a lot more courage to forgive than it does to react inappropriately through vengeance and holding a grudge, uh, and not forgiving. Yeah. Okay. So few, few, few final questions here as we're kind of bringing this thing to a close. Um, I'm thinking right now about guys who I've worked with over the years in counseling. I do a number of men's retreats, um, I recently was at St. Francis de Sales in Milwaukee, leading a, a formation workshop for the men on masculinity and celibacy and, and pornography. And the examples I try to bring always, I'm trying to, I'm trying to incorporate and not hold to the stereotypes, but I do have four boys and we are athletic. You know, we do measure some of our successes by jumping off cliffs into water. I mean, so, so I, even though I, on one hand, I, I say, uh, don't hold to these things, but then I tend to draw these examples because it, that, that tends to be the way that we've expressed it. I was having a conversation with a guy um, at lunch one time and, and he challenged me a little bit on it and I thought it was fair. Um, and so I guess I'm posing the question to you then, if, if there's a guy who's listening or a family member, somebody who, who of, of a listener of the show, whose life doesn't necessarily fit the stereotypical norms that we have, how can he still live uh, a healthy expression of his masculinity, or what is what is the way that he can hold on to some of these virtues and express them in a way that may not necessarily have to do with athletics or the military or any of those things? Right. Well, I think number one, the the first thing I would say is that there is no one standard or model of masculinity that's that's healthy. I mean, we have different. Um, criteria. We have different norms. We have different scripts out there. Um, but even then, I think we we 
experience problems whenever we, we, we try to kind of shoehorn everybody into one particular model. So I would say there's there's quite the diversity of ways to live a healthy masculinity out there. Um, and I would say, you know, number number two, when trying to discern that question for yourself, um, it takes some self-reflection and some self-awareness in terms of how are you living out your masculinity in positive and negative ways and self-correcting. Um, and then number two, getting some external feedback from people that you trust, people that are going to be honest with you, um, and people that are going to be out for uh, looking out for your benefit who can say, yeah, you know, here's some ways that you can improve. Here's some ways that you are um, doing well already. And then I think part of that external feedback can come from one's religious community um, and, of course, their relationship with God, because God can help direct behavior towards the good. Um, and what better way to direct your masculinity than through how God is directing you to do it? Yeah, because the, the generativity aspect of it is, is, is key. I mean, that, that's in previous episodes, I've had Dr. Jennifer Miller on the show, and we've talked about fatherhood and and she says very beautifully from a theological theologic perspective, her, her assertion is that fatherhood becomes the, 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 the real end of masculinity and motherhood is the real end of, of, of femininity in the sense that like at the end, you know, we, we, we're given this creative energy um, to beget life and to form new life. And that's really one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us. And so how we are using these virtues at the service of building up a community um, is is really the greatest thing uh, that that we can do. So, you know, far be it from being able to just throw a ball 100 miles an hour or kick or score goals or any of those things. Those things in the end don't don't define one's masculinity. Um, but you know, those athletics can be a, a an analogy to life. Those can be ways of being able to uh, look at rising to the challenge of of setting aside your fears a little bit of of doing the training and the preparation. Um, in in being the underdog, I mean, it's why we love these underdog stories. Or Rocky, I know you're not you're not in Philadelphia, but but we we hold to these things. Not not to say that then that boxing in and of itself is what defines a man, but in your own way, I guess this is how I would answer the question I posed. In your own way, how do you feel that God is inviting you to uh, rise above uh, your own comforts to? Um, to, to get outside of yourself and, and to be generous as a human being. If you cultivate those virtues, I think in, in, in many ways you're living your masculinity in a way that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's healthy and that's good. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also uh, speaks to the importance of, of being tapped into other groups of men. So you are exposed to a variety of, of positive role models and then you pick and choose, right? Uh, from those role models in terms of, yeah, I, I like what John does over here. I like what Steve does over here. And then you can start to incorporate that into your own um, identity and sense of masculinity. Great. Okay. So parents who have boys, I have four boys and we don't have nice things in the house. I think if I kept a running list of everything that's been broken in the house, uh, it would be like 15 pages long uh -huh. because they just love to rough and tumble and it's just what they are. So, uh, you know, I get this question often from people who have boys, how do I handle their competitiveness? You know, how do I handle their aggression? What do I do when they're just digging into each other? 
uh, is this just healthy or, or when does it cross the line that, that it becomes something negative? How do I deal with their jealousy and their, their sibling rivalry and all those things that, that tend to associate? I see it. So what, what, what's your thoughts, Anthony, in terms of how to, how to handle this when it comes to, to boys and, and wanting not to quelch that aggressiveness because there's an element that, that they're going to need that that's good. But how do, you, how do you encourage parents to channel that in a way that's healthy? Good question. And uh, it's, it's, of course, uh, a little ironic question in terms of what we were talking about beforehand. I, I, I have four daughters at home, not, <laughs> not sons. So here I am, a masculinity researcher, and I go home to a house full of women. And uh, I, I joke that even the fish is female. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, again, um, when it comes to raising sons, um, you want to have a good balance, um, you know, from I was a philosophy uh, undergrad major, and I always go back to my intro to ethics class with Aristotle, where the the virtue is often the in the middle of two extremes, you know. Right. And uh, with boys, you know, you of course want to find that balance or that mean in between the two extremes of competitiveness, aggressiveness, um, and you know, keep them in check if you start to notice that it goes to one extreme or the other, um, because, uh, that middle ground, that mean area is where the virtue is. Um, and so if you're trying to cultivate virtue, uh, as a father of sons, you want to, um, you know, provide some nice guardrails on either side, um, and try to keep them in that sweet spot as much as possible. Yeah, it's, Try. We try to offer those guardrails, but boys, they like to push them. You know, they always, they always want to push the guardrails a little bit further, you know, and that's when it's like, all right, guys, nope, this is it. You know, enough's enough. This is, this is the expectation. And, uh, and it's tough. I mean, I think that's the challenge for any parent is always, you know, the balance between giving them enough rope and kind of some slack, so to speak, or, or coming in firm and, and having to kind of hard come down hard on them also. So but I love it. I love my boys. They're, they're good dudes. Um, they've been excited about me training for this marathon. So mm-hmm. actually this, this weekend, uh, we have a terrain race that's happening, uh, here in New Orleans. It's like a tough mutter. And if you heard of these things there, it's a 5k that yeah. has obstacles along the way and uh, seven and up can do it. So I'm doing it with my three older ones. The youngest one has a, a little half mile mini monkey race is what they're calling it. Um, so we're all, we're all pumped up about this weekend and, uh, and doing the, the races. So little prayers along the way. We appreciate that. Of course. And yeah. I, yeah, I don't want you to underestimate things like that in terms of just your day to day involvement as a father with your sons, where you are modeling the behavior that you want them to emulate. Um, and you engaging in positive health behaviors is going to rub off on them. And so, um, to me, there's no better parenting technique out there than a father trying to be a good father himself, um, and being a good role role model for his children. You you know, I think we forget that they actually are listening. Um, and I'll tell you the the time that I, that it really kind of clicked on me for this was my, my oldest is 15 last year when he was a freshman in high school. We were just talking about, you know, relationships and friendships and making sure he navigates those appropriately, who he's hanging out with, who he's not hanging out with. And so I was just kind of giving him a little bit of instruction saying this. And he, he just pretty much was like, dad, like, I know I'm your son, you know, like I get it. And I was like, oh, well, you, uh, you haven't paid attention this whole time. Oh, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, back off a little bit. We got it. Right. We got an understanding and that's fine. 
Um, so great, great encouragement that you've offered throughout this whole episode. Uh, sincerely appreciate the advice in, in encouraging men to, to stand into the gap, to, to, to do what they're supposed to do in, in the way that God is inviting them uh, to do it. So, you know, it, we've been talking about the books, but is there, how, how can people get a hold of them? What's the other book that, that you wrote? Um, is there anything else that you would like to, to plug here to the listeners? Uh, well, both books are available on Amazon. So if you search my name, Anthony Isacco, you'll be able to find them. The other book was um, a book to help men discern their vocation and particularly a vocation to the priesthood. Um, there's so many barriers that men experience uh, to accept and live out that call. And boy, do we need good priests out there these days in our church. And so uh, that book is really a guide to help men discern healthy uh, healthily and to accept uh, that call to the priesthood if God is in fact calling them to it. Uh, so the two books kind of go together in that regard where they talk about spirituality and religion and manhood uh, from, a, from, from, from a couple different perspectives. Fantastic. Well, we will have links to both of those books in the show notes. And Anthony, final question to ask all my guests, what gives you hope? I think... Um, I don't know what my answer would be after this show, but in the moment right now, I think history gives me hope. You know, I think um, our, our history is full of challenges that have been overcome. Uh, and so even though there are challenges and uh, certainly reasons to despair now, um, I just think that you know, there's always going to be hope for the future and good things to come because uh uh, there's what that old proverb of, you know, opportunity comes from challenge. And so with these current challenges, there's opportunities to improve and get better. That will lead to, um, that will lead to good things to come. Amen. Great answer. Well, greatly appreciate your time and being here with us. God bless you and you continue to research and service to men and helping them to understand their healthy sense of self and, uh, and all the good work you do to the people there up in Pittsburgh and valuations and classes and all the awesome things. So God bless you, man. So thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Well, that's it, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of the show. I think for me, the takeaway is really this. That men, if you are listening and you have a particular goal that you want to achieve in life, that's good. And you should have that. You should strive for that. But you shouldn't feel that you have to be alone in being able to achieve that goal. And so I hope that you've been able to take away from this episode the importance of seeking help. Whether that's something like running a marathon and knowing when you need to go get some, some help for uh, physical therapy. Or if you're struggling with depression or anxiety in your life and you need to reach out to a counselor, there are so many great male therapists out there, female therapists, that are willing and ready to help you. And so don't feel that it's shame or that's weakness, but rather seeking help is a healthy way of being able to move forward in life and a beautiful way of being able to achieve the goals and the standard that you have for yourself. Nobody's a self-made man. Nobody does this alone. That's something that I've learned incredibly in me throughout my whole life, and particularly over these last few years. And so go, get help. Do what you need to do to get healthy because the people in your life need you to be healthy. And so men, do what needs to be done. Live life virtuously, love the Lord, and love the people in your life. And so thanks, everybody, for chiming in to the show. 
Now that it's done, please don't forget to, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or to find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. Look forward to being able to dialogue with you on those platforms. So God bless everybody and have a great day. Thank you.